0: you're listening to the Makers and Mystics Podcast, this is your host, Stephen Roach. This is Season 3, Episode 9. A few months ago, I had the privilege of speaking at United Pursuits Reunion Retreat just outside of Nashville, Tennessee, on Johnny and June Cash's land. And I had the opportunity to speak to a group of Christian artists at the event on the relationship between art and faith. And as I've listened back to that keynote that I gave that weekend, I felt that some of the insights I shared could be beneficial to the larger community of makers and mystics. And so in this episode, I'm going to share highlights from that talk on the relationship between art and faith. But before we get into our talk, I want to encourage you to go to breathintheclay.com and reserve your tickets for our live event coming up March 22nd through 25th in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And if you haven't been to a Breath in the Clay event before, I encourage you to make this year the year that you come. So many people have relayed stories back to us about how the Breath in the Clay and the community gathering around this movement has become a pivotal experience in your journey of art and faith. And there's just something really special happening in the community this year. This event is already becoming the largest one that we've hosted so far. This is our fifth event and many of our workshops are starting to fill up, but if you get your tickets today, you should still be able to attend the ones you wanna attend. Also keep in mind, patrons of the podcast receive discounts to all of our live events. So visit thebreathintheclay.com, get your tickets today. And as always, thank you guys so much for listening. This is my talk from the reunion retreat 2017 on the relationship between art and faith. So the question I want to raise this afternoon is this, what is the relationship between art and faith and why is this relationship important for us to understand? And I think that This question is probably already something that's either important to you or it's something that interests you or else you'd be at another tent. (laughs) But I'm gonna tell you from my experience that this question I believe is vital, not just for the artist, not just for the professional artist, but for us as followers of Jesus, I believe that this question is essential for us to grapple with, to really partner with where I see God leading the church at large. I mean, I just, I believe this is so much greater than whether we have cool worship songs or whether we allow painting in our services. But I believe that this is a question that goes back to Genesis 1, and it's a question that deals with the core of our humanity. And uh, for me, part of answering that question does go to Genesis 1. And you guys that were in my session yesterday, I kind of laid some of that theological foundation from where I'm coming from on this. But the first five words of the Bible, in the beginning, God created. Before we know of his love, before we know of the law, before we hear the angels singing, holy, 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 before we know of his righteousness, scripture introduces us to a creative being who is lost in rapture within his creative process. 26 verses down into Genesis, when we meet the first human being, we see that he's been created in the image of God. And so it just makes sense that a large part of the image of God in humanity is the same tendency to be creative beings and to find joy through the creative process. So that's the theological foundation of why I feel like this connection between art and faith is essential. But there's a reason that all of the prophets, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, all of these guys were written in poetic form. We thought about that. All the prophets were written in poetic form. There's a reason that God said to Jeremiah, I wanna to speak to you, but I want you to go down to the potter's house. And when you watch his process, you will hear my voice through what he's creating. There's a reason why with Ezekiel and Isaiah, these, these avant-garde performance artists is what they were. It's a reason that he said, I want to speak a message of national significance, and I'm not going to do it just through words, but I want you to go lay on your side in the middle of the town square and build a model of Jerusalem and do all these weird prophetic acts. There's a reason that God began to speak through the creative. There's a reason that when Jesus came on the scene, he began to appeal to the imagination of mankind. He began to speak these imaginative stories. What's the kingdom of God like? Oh, it's like a woman baking bread. It's like a wedding feast. It's like a man with a treasure buried in a field. You know, it was like he just didn't tell it. He showed it. He used the imagination. He used these these pictures, these stories to convey the message. And so here's where I want to start. And remember, we're we're discussing... What is the relationship between faith and art? And why is understanding this relationship essential for our own lives and essential for where God is leading his church? And um, the first verse I wanna talk about is Genesis 2-9. And I love, love, love this so much. But it's in the creation narrative. And God has just set Adam in the garden. And it says, it's just little verse that you could overlook so quickly if, if, if we don't just fine tune our eyes. But it says that he made the trees in the garden both to be beautiful to behold and to be good for food, right? He said the trees in the garden were both beautiful to behold and they were good for food. You know what this says? And this is what I feel like the Spirit has highlighted to me through this verse is that not only do we have a physical need for food, for nourishment, but our spirit has a need for beauty. Our spirit has a need to behold, you know, beautiful things, the mountains, the, you know, the uh, matter of fact, when Adam saw Eve, you realize that was the first poetry in the Bible. You know, I mean, the whole scripture in that story is written in poetic, but the first Poetic utterance from a human being is when Adam saw Eve and he was so smitten with her beauty is that he began to utter poetry. And isn't that what happens to us is that when we encounter the beauty of God, art is what comes out of us. I mean, I remember several years ago, I was on the road and I was traveling and I was out at the Grand Canyon and I was by myself, just me, a book of poetry and one of my frame drums. And I'm sitting there just looking at this thing and just drinking in, just just drunk with wonder. And I'm looking at this and I had to write about it. I had to respond. You can't encounter beauty without responding. And so when we encounter the beauty of God, it makes artists of us all. And that doesn't mean that we'll be professional artists by trade. But it does mean that when we encounter beauty, we reflect beauty, we become what we behold. And so when we behold the master artist, we reflect the art of God. And if you wanna talk about a world that's in need of seeing the art of God, it's the world we're living in. And that's why I believe that right now when the world is probably crazier than we've seen it in our lifetime at least, that God is also raising up a generation of creatives and artisans. And there was one point when I struggled with the fact of seeing all of the depravity of the world, all of the political unrest, all of the Syrian refugee crisis, all of the Iraq, all of this stuff going on. And then in the middle of that, I'm teaching on creativity and I feel this call to release the arts. And, And if you don't have the right perspective in the middle of that, the arts can seem frivolous And gratuitous and not necessary, but I want to propose that it is not despite the craziness of our world right now, but it is precisely because of the chaos of our world that God is raising up a creative movement. You know why? Because He's called us to walk in the opposite spirit. And just like we talked about yesterday in the Architects of Hope, it's like, you know, St. Francis echoing Isaiah. He says, you know, where there is hatred, I want to sow love. Where there is discord, I want to sow peace. Where there is craziness, I want to sow sanity. And what did Isaiah say? But he said, you know, I want to give you beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning. And I don't think it was an accident that that's the very scripture that Jesus started his public ministry by reciting. You know, when he stood up in the temple and he opened up Isaiah 61. The first words that the Son of God uttered right there in the synagogue is that he had come to turn the world on its head, that in the place of chaos, he had come to sow beauty. Isn't that beautiful? And so here, and I believe, and you can look more into this, some of the, uh, there's an episode on makers and mystics that I did. I think it's called On the Relationship of Beauty and Justice. And uh, go back and listen to that one because I can unpack it a lot more there than I can here. But I believe that there's an inherent relationship between beauty and justice. So I'm gonna start us back at my scripture, Genesis 2.9. In the same tree, there's nourishment for the body and there's nourishment for the spirit, right? Mankind not only has a physical need for nourishment, but as a spiritual, emotional, and psychological need for nourishment. As food is to the body, beauty is to the soul. And when I think about beauty, when you think about beauty, you know, the Grand Canyon or what, whatever form we're talking about, what we're seeing is we're seeing different elements coming together in right relationship, Right? If you really break down like what makes something beautiful, one of the things that makes something beautiful is when these different elements come together in right relationship. And now think about justice. What is justice? Justice is different things coexisting together in right relationship. And I looked up the, the Merriam-Webster definition of justice and it says the quality of being fair and, I, and I, I love that the word fair. I'm a wordsmith, and so I, I like to get into the etymology of words and break down these words and, and find out all these things. The word fair, which is used to define justice, is also the word that means beauty, like, you know, mirror, mirror on the wall, who is the fairest of them all. You know, to be fair means to be treated right, and it also means to be beautiful. Do you guys know who Dorothy Day is? She was the activist and the Catholic worker in the 60s. Uh, She did a lot of work among the poor, and she was just an incredible lady. But she believed that providing images of good things, vines, grapes, mother with her children, countered the troubledness of our world and the bitterness of our world. And acknowledging the ugliness of poverty, she believed that people could create the kind of humility needed in reversing the systems that sustained brokenness by displaying acts of beauty. And so when we talk about what's the relationship between faith and art and what effect does that have in the world, it's so essential. It is absolutely so essential. And when you go throughout history, the church has had a tremendously rocky relationship with the arts. And I'm not a naysayer, you know, I'm not bitter, I'm not jaded. I love the body of Christ. I, I love the church community, you know, I'm part of it. I, you know, I take ownership and I want to help move us forward. But at the same time, I think that part of that is, is really grappling with where we've come from and some of the things that we embraced so that we can break free from some of the, the tired religiosity and we can move into a new era. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so here we go. Genesis 1 created in the image of God invited us into his creative process in naming the animals. Humanity fell away from God's original design. God said, I'm not giving up. He begins to appeal to Noah, gave him designs he, for an ark to save humanity. When Moses got into the presence of God, he got blueprints for a tabernacle. When David got into the presence of God, he got an idea for a 4,000-piece orchestra. You know what I mean? It's like, you, you move on, Jeremiah, go look at the potter. All throughout Scripture, you see God appealing to the creative part of man, right? Bazalel, the first person in Scripture who was named as being filled with the Spirit of God was the artist commissioned to beautify the temple. Right? Every move of God throughout Scripture was accompanied by a sound. From the sounds of the trumpets to the sound of the rushing wind, all throughout Scripture, music and sound was always a part of God moving. My visual artist friends like to remind me that visual art was in the temple way before music ever got there, you know? But... When you move throughout history, the early church, and check this out. Oh, this is going to be so fun. We're going to have fun with this one. Early Christian gatherings were noisy, charismatic affairs that often involved feasting, dancing, songs, and music with great emotional intensity. And we know that in part because of what Paul said to the Corinthian church, right? If they hadn't have been getting crazy, he, had, he wouldn't have put some context there. But he didn't shut it down at all. These gatherings involved a sense of community that outlasted the charge of the religious ceremonies themselves. And a matter of fact, a lot of anthropologists and historians believe that it was the communal element of the Christian church that allowed the Christian faith to grow beyond all the other cults of the day. Because in the beginning, Christianity was just another cult, so to speak. Now check this out. I love our church fathers, but I'm going to be honest with you, a lot of these guys did not get the role of art and why art was important to the church. St Augustine, who we all have so much we owe so much to the path that Augustine tread, you know, what he did for the for the church, but Augustine wrestled with the power of music. And if you look in the Confessions, he only accepted music as a concession. And he said, "I love what music does to my spirit." But I don't lie. I'm afraid of what music does to my spirit because I'm afraid that I will fall more in love with music than the one the music is supposed to connect me to. He wrestled with it. He could not grapple with the power of music and art. You go on through church history, they began to say there was something called the Synod of Elvira. And in this gathering, church leaders determined that images were now forbidden in churches because they were afraid they would become objects of worship. It was also forbidden for chariot racers and stage performers to be baptized. But then you move on and here's the battle into the fifth through the 15th century. Beautiful lady named Hildegard of Bingen. You guys ever heard of Hildegard? She was a pioneer in vocal and chant music. She wrote her own compositions, which was a no-no during that time. You know, she was a poet and a playwright And she paved the way, but eventually she was persecuted and exiled because she was just too out there for church leaders. You know why? Listen, guys, this this is what I'm talking about. Remember, faith and art and the relationship, the religious spirit, is based off of fear and control, and the spirit of creativity is based upon love and freedom. So these two kingdoms have clashed in the history of our church for centuries. You know, but if you look at some of the most innovative creations that have happened in our history, it doesn't take long before you realize that a lot of it was, was brought about by believers, by Christians, or by people that felt that it was given to them by God, even if they didn't know how to name God or didn't know that it was a, that it was, you know, Jesus, or it came to them through a dream. Like for instance, a little monk named Guido of Arizo, (laughs) we need to resurrect these names, right? He wanted to remember the melodies that God gave him in the spirit when he worshiped. And so he devised a system of low note, high note, medium note, long note. And that was where all modern day written music came from, was a little monk that wanted to remember his melodies to worship. A lot of people believe that it was the Christians who actually invented the book because we wanted the Torah and the letters of Paul and the gospels all in one location. And so the Christians devised the book. You know, in the Middle Ages also, and, and Hildegard was one of the pioneers of this movement, but they had these things called the mystery plays and the morality plays. And and a lot of times people attribute theater to having been born in Greece, right? And we know Greek theater had a that's where theater is born. But simultaneously, in Europe, the priests would employ actors to come and interpret visually what they were preaching. Isn't that cool? And that's where theater was born, was by acting out the gospel messages that the priest conveyed. Now, the problem is, those things began to appeal to the spirit of mankind so deeply that it began to freak out the church leaders. And there again, the religious thing got in there and they began to kick out these expressions, right? once the church began to say dance is the dance of the devil wherever there's a dance there's a devil we don't want you on our services no more morality plays it's getting too popular and we can't control these things visual art you might worship the images and so we can't have visual art in our church when they began to kick out these expressions of creativity and art from the church gatherings guess what was born in europe the carnival And if you don't know what the carnival was, it was this festival of human depravity mixed with mockery of the church, mixed with theater, mixed with dance, mixed with creativity. See, here's the thing, guys. If you deny men food, they will gobble poison. And if you kick creativity and art out of the sanctuary, you create atheism. You create humanism. You divorce the very image of God inside of humanity from the purpose God created it for. The reason I started a podcast called Makers and Mystics is because I, you know, several years ago I felt like the Lord said to me, Stephen, creativity is your life message. And I felt like he said, will you partner with me in resurrecting and cultivating this new garden of the creatives that I'm doing in all the world? I mean, guys, there's been a creative revolution happening in the earth for the past 10 years, both inside the body of Christ and outside. It's been happening in our midst. And so that's why I feel it's important for Christian artists to be set free, to do what we've been called to do, because we can put language to it. We can connect it back to the head. And so here's where I'm going with this. The language of the spirit and the language of the artist is the same language. And what I mean is this, when Jesus came and and he was trying to describe the kingdom of God, what did he use? He used metaphors, he used symbols. He used stories, he used pictures, you know? And when the artist is trying to convey a reality beyond the physical world, what do they do? They use symbols, metaphors, and languages. In this way, all art is incarnational. It's word becoming flesh. Art reaches for eternity, for longevity. When we experience a beautiful moment, we're compelled to capture it when we encounter God we need anointed artists who have been given permission to think and explore outside of the religious boxes we need to let artists breathe and explore their craft as an act of devotion and an act of worship without strangling their art to serve the agendas of a church body or a conference we cannot let sacred art be prostituted for religious propaganda because see the religious spirit is fear and control the spirit of creativity is love and freedom. And love never fails. So when we engage what we love, we can't fail. There are no mistakes and there are no dead end roads in heaven. So here's what I'm saying to you guys. You have permission to go after what you felt afraid to go after. And you have some things in your hearts that you don't see prototypes for. You get influence from here, you get influence from here, you get inspiration from there. But none of those things are quite it. It's something else. You have just been given permission to go after those things with God as an act of devotion in relationship with Him. See, I think we can create whatever crazy stuff God puts in our heart. Thanks again, everyone, for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. Be sure to follow us on instagram at makers and mystics and also if you haven't yet please leave us a review on itunes and subscribe to us there look forward to connecting with you real soon we'll see you next time